Take a copy of God's Word and turn to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts chapter 2. And next week we'll begin a series on the Sermon on the Mount. But today we are in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 will be in verses 37 to 47. If you were with us at the Evangelism Conference this week, you heard a sermon on this uh, very chapter. And I wrote to my friend Kyle Walker and said, thanks a lot. And actually, no, the Lord has it all timed out. And you guess it's never bad to get a double dose of, of a good text of Scripture. Acts chapter 2 will be in verses 37 through 47. No whoppers. Very few Japanese, very few American restaurants or stores are allowed into Japan. Their idea of fair trade is not very fair in my opinion, but uh, uh, as we were there for 10 years, ever so often you'd see an American restaurant that got in. Well, Burger King is one of those, and uh, it was there, and then it kind of fell out, and it's back again. But one of our colleagues, as we were missionaries in Japan, went to Burger King one day, and there was a sign in the window, out of Whoppers. Out of Whoppers? I mean, you can be out of a lot of things at Burger King, but to be out of Whoppers, that's what Burger King does, is makes Whoppers. What do we do? What is our business? Our business, our commission from the Lord is to make disciples. So may we never have a sign on the window that says, not making disciples today. How are we doing at our business of making disciples? Are we making disciples? Yes. But I can't help but feel that the Lord has a whole lot more of our business that is his business that he would do through us. Today we're looking at sharpening our vision. Of course, as a church, it should never be wholesale new, but trying to hone in and define that in a better way for us. I mentioned my friend Kyle Walker. He said this week so, so well. The church, in many ways, has exchanged making disciples, doing the work of the kingdom with merely going to church. It's so easy for us as American believers to begin to never say it, but begin to feel and act as if what I do as a believer is go to church. Well, there are other religions, of course, that we could do better there in checking off boxes to show our religion. I don't want that. You don't want that. So today we look at a text to remind us what the Scripture says about our mission and our work. So we're looking in verses 37 and following in Acts chapter 2. And you'll remember that over in Acts chapter 1 verse 14, the church after our Lord was resurrected from the dead and returned to heaven, they gathered back in the upper room and they began to devote themselves to prayer with one mind. They've been praying. They've been together agreeing on what they're praying for and what the mission is. And so then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. And the people wanted to know what was going on. Something amazing was happening. And so Peter has preached this sermon. The Lord has transformed Peter, the denier of the Lord, into 
the, if not one of, the leaders of the New Testament church. And so Peter, the Spirit, preaches through him. And so we pick up at the end of, of this. And I'll remind you that disciple-making, as we look at it, disciple-making began with Jesus. Jesus had already set the model for disciple-making. And in Jesus' model, we see varying sizes of ministry. We see the crowd of folks who came and listened to Jesus and who many believed in Jesus. We saw Jesus in a smaller group setting with those 12 invest himself in a way where they could interact with him. And then we see Jesus pouring himself into the three, Peter and James and John, in a much more intimate way. And then we're going to see this same model at work in Acts chapter 2. It says, Now when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart. This is hearing Peter's sermon. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And that's always the proper response to the working of the Lord in our hearts. When we're reading the scripture in our own quiet time each morning, that should be the question, one of them that we're asking, what do I do in response to this word of the Lord? Whether it's in the Bible study on Sunday morning or some other setting, whether it's in worship, we respond to the Lord. We are to be people who respond to him. In verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and let each of you be baptized In the name of Jesus Christ, for, or the word there can mean, in this case should mean, I believe, because of the forgiveness of your sins. We see all through the scripture, we're not baptized to be forgiven. We're baptized so that we might be forgiven. Had a dear lady come by the church this week, unannounced, asked if she could talk about baptism. We did, and she said, I'm I'm sick. I was baptized before. I want to be baptized again to see if it will work this time. And, uh, and she meant well, but, but we just had to back up and say, dear sister, baptism doesn't work. Now, the Lord could heal you, but he's not going to heal you because you're going to be baptized. We need to talk about the gospel, and we did. And, and prayerfully, uh, she will understand uh, that and come to Christ. But So he says to repent, and the picture of that repentance, the natural result of that repentance, is to be baptized. Now, all throughout Jerusalem where this message is being proclaimed, they had the mikvah. They were these little sunken uh, pools of water with steps going down in. And the Jews used these for uh, a ritual baptism over and over and over. But it was already set up for the thousands who are going to come to Christ and to be baptized. He says, repent. It means I'm going my own way and I'm admitting that I'm a sinner. And by God's grace, I'm going to turn and follow him. And then I'm going to let it be displayed, as Jesus said to, and even Jesus did for us in the act of baptism, the act of worship of baptism. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you come to know Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. And it's a wonder of all wonders. He says, for the promises for you, for your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And with many other words... He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Jesus does all the work, but you still have to say yes. And even the saying yes is still, by his grace and by his power, the mystery of salvation that God calls to all. God says that he so loved the world. He says it's not his will that any should perish. We see there's rejoicing in heaven over one who repents. 
Because the call is for all. And they wouldn't be rejoicing if it was already predetermined and there was no choice in the matter. We still say yes, and somehow even that is by His grace and His mercy. When my heart was turned upside down by young Kathy Foss, I cleaned myself up, I shaved, I bathed, I got a life plan, and I went, I proposed. She came to the church that day, but she still wouldn't have been my wife if she hadn't said, yes. Praise the Lord, she did. And praise the Lord, she believes she can't get out of it. Uh, Man, I'm telling you, best day of my life was a number of years ago when she finally realized that all men are the same and that she'd just have to start over and train the next one. And uh, it was a great, great day for me. That's not, uh, that has nothing to do with today's sermon. I'm just thankful. I am just thankful. Pray for her. It's a rough, rough life. Be saved from this perverse generation. The word there is the same word that we get the word scoliosis from. It's a crooked, bent generation. Be saved. There's a result. We've come to know Christ as our Savior. Something's got to change in our life. There's there's no biblical example of a believer who believes in Christ and nothing changes. We'll never be perfect until we get to heaven. We'll be far from perfect until we get to heaven. But there's got to be a desire to follow after, to leave the world's ways and to follow after the Lord. And so verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wow, to be Peter at the minister's lunch on Monday. How was church yesterday? Yeah, fine, fine. How about you, Peter? Yeah, we had 3,000 believe and be baptized. That was quite, quite a day there for Peter. And this is still how we come into the church. There's no verse that says, thou shalt be a church member. Most of us believe in the scriptural wisdom of church membership, even in church discipline in the New Testament. You can't set someone out of the church unless they were in the church. They knew who they were. They were not meeting like we meet for the most part. They're meeting in small homes, but there was, there was a we of the church. This is how you join the church today. You believe in Christ as your Savior. You receive baptism, either here or somewhere else. And you're added to the Lord's church. In verse 42, and they were continually, and the word continually devoting, there are the two words, that phrase, the continually, continually devoted, applies to each of the other facets of this verse. The, the sentence construction there. It's not just continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, but to each of these things. What were they continually devoting? It wasn't a one-time thing. It was an, a regular activity in their lives, the apostles' teaching. Well, the apostles were teaching the Old Testament, of course, but they were also teaching what our Lord Jesus had taught them, which would become the written record, which we call the New Testament. So continually studying the Word, as we do and as we ought to do, as individuals, With those who live with us in small groups and in this corporate setting. And we'll talk about this in more detail in a moment. But they were also continually devoting themselves to fellowship. Well, it's just eating, right? Well, that's certainly part of it. Jesus did. I I don't know of any teaching Jesus did. Probably missing one, but I don't think of any teaching he did that wasn't around food. It's good. It's good to eat food and fellowship together as believers. But it's deeper than that. First John tells us that we have fellowship 
with one another and with the Lord in the way that we were designed to when our lives are seeking to be about his word. And we say, where are we going to meet? We're going to meet at his word. That's where the true fellowship comes, where it's more than just eating together. It's, it's really joining our lives together and saying, I want to learn from you how you're following the Lord so it can encourage me. And you learn from me how I'm following the Lord so it can encourage you, even though it may look different in each life. Devoting themselves to fellowship and to breaking of bread. Well, I thought that was the first one. Well, yes, there's some carryover here, but the breaking of bread also likely means the Lord's Supper. Even the Lord there took the bread and the cup from the table. And they were observing the Lord's Supper together, which is a covenant with God. And it's a covenant with one another. That you're my brother. You're my sister. You can pick your friends, but you can't pick your relatives, and we're relatives. You're stuck with me, and we're stuck with one another. And they're also continually devoting themselves to prayer. This is the fuel for all that the Lord wants to do. Again, back in chapter 1 of Acts, it began. They were people of prayer. We must be a people of prayer. You need to be in prayer for you, for your life, for your ministry, and for this church. Your pastors certainly need prayer every day feeling inadequate for the task they're a people of prayer and we'll talk more about this but there was a result in verse 43 everyone kept feeling a sense of awe you know this doesn't have to be past tense this doesn't have to be history we can feel a sense of awe today it doesn't have to be in this building but it certainly ought to be in this building it's my prayer often it was this morning more than once, that, that everyone who walks in this place would feel a sense of anticipation and that the Lord would meet with us so that we would know we met with the Lord, that the Lord would do things that would cause us to say, we didn't do that. The pastor wasn't that clever. No, the Lord came through. The Lord moved. The Lord worked in a way that only the Lord could do and only the Lord could get credit for. And many wonders and signs were taking place. Same thing. This is, this is we can have this today. Verse 44, and all those who believed were together and had all things in common. Were they communists? No, not at all. They were pilgrims. They needed each other. And the Lord was leading them to share with one another and to meet one another's needs voluntarily, as we see all throughout the Scripture, even with Ananias and Sapphira. And we see they were in control of their goods, and they lied about it. And the Lord didn't like that so much that he killed them, but they were in control. There was, there was not communism. They had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions. were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Now, a cult will have you do this, but a cult will have you give it to the leader. It's not what they were doing. No, they were sharing with what was becoming the New Testament church, just in the same way that we tithe today. But you're not tithing to the leader. You're tithing to the Lord and to his work. And day by day, they were continuing with one mind in the temple and house to house. And we'll look at this in just a moment. But there they were again in large group setting and in smaller settings. Now at this time the division wasn't quite so sharp in the temple. So they're somehow still gathering in the temple. They may be still participating as believers now in some of what was happening in the temple. But also probably meeting out in the open square there in the temple. But also house to house. Different settings. The corporate setting. All together. The corporate setting in the New Testament church is extremely important. It's where the family sits down together. For a believer to not want to be in corporate worship 
It doesn't make any sense. It's like, again, a family who never meets together. They live in the same house. They pass in the hallways. But never are they together. This is where we as a church, as a group, learn together and understand what the Lord is doing with us and watching what the Lord is doing. But the corporate setting is not the only setting. If all we have is the corporate setting, then we could be left as a face in the crowd. We could become a consumer and not be growing in deep ways with the Lord's people. So they're in the temple. They're house to house. They're taking their meals together with gladness. I encourage you to do that. No one ever invites me over. You know the best way to get invited over? Invite someone else over. Well, our house isn't perfect. That's actually even better. Because they're thinking your house is. And theirs isn't perfect. I'm not that great a cook. It's okay. Make your best meal. Buy pizza. Whatever you need to do. But the best way to get invited over is to invite someone else over. That's a healthy thing for the church to do. But don't wait. Don't sit in the corner saying no one's inviting me over unless you've invited someone else over. Out to eat. doesn't have to be your house. Whatever it is. Getting together. Taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God. And having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. The Lord can still do that. Add to our number day by day those who are being saved. You remember getting ready if you've had a child for that first baby? All the things that you have to do to get ready for that baby? You've got to figure out if you've got a room in your house that can serve as a nursery or if it's going to be uh, your shared bedroom or the living room. Or I can tell you a lot of places we've had kids sleep over the years that weren't designed for kids. In the house, don't get me wrong, nothing, you know. <laughs> you're going to decorate that nursery. You're going to get a baby bed. You've got to figure out which hospital, which doctor. You're going to make a birth plan. You're going to make a feeding plan. You're going to have a, a way to make sure dad knows that you've gone into labor and on and on and on. Well, they had 3,000 babies to get ready for. And we want to be ready. And we want to be clear about what it looks like to come to Christ and then to follow him as a disciple. And I want to look with you for a few moments. We've been praying and working at trying to better clarify what does it look like. And what's the reason, what's the purpose for this? The purpose is so that we know as a church what we're trying to do to grow ourselves and others as disciples so that we have a filter then to know what we're not doing. Because as a church, there are a thousand, fifteen hundred and one million ideas. And yes, that's not a number. Good ideas. But we've got to know. We've got to have time to do what we need to do. We've got to free you up so you have time to minister and to make disciples. And so we want to gradually continue to narrow down, to focus what it is that we do as a church at Sandia Baptist to make disciples. And so what is our mission? Our mission, like every church, is to go and make disciples. Every church has the same mission. To go and make disciples. Yes, that involves prayer. Yes, that involves evangelism. You've got to have someone come to Christ before they can be discipled. That's the mission. What does that look like here? Our vision, we have said, is to connect to Jesus, to grow with Jesus, and to reach with Jesus. So that it's a cyclical pattern. So that when you come to Christ, you grow you are reaching others who get back into that same cycle. And this is the pattern of multiplying disciples. How do we do that? Well, the discipleship pathway. 
You can go on to the next slide there. You've seen a few of these up in the hall. They're going to be more and more around the church. We're going to look into these for just a few minutes together and see what does this look like. But it begins with crowd. And this is part of that connecting to Jesus. This is the crowd. This is the corporate body. And so we'll be emphasizing these one per month in March. We'll be emphasizing the crowd. What happens in the crowd? You come to Christ. You follow the Lord in believer's baptism. You join the church. Again, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong, even if you don't see it biblically, and most of us do, with saying, you know what? For this season in my life, I want you to know this is my home church. Count me in. Teach me. Involve me. Hold me accountable. I'm in. It's where we come to membership in the church. We begin to be a contributor financially to the church. All of these things and more happen in the crowd. But then next is the community. And the community will be emphasizing in April. The community is our connection hour. Currently at 9 a.m. It doesn't have to happen at 9 a.m. in this building. Most of them do. We have freedom there. The idea is that it's a smaller setting so we can get to know other believers, so we can interact over the Bible in a way that we can't do in the larger setting. In the month of April, as I mentioned, we'll be giving emphasis to that connection ministry to the community aspect of making disciples. Pastor Andy will be meeting with connection leadership, helping you to make sure that your department is staffed in a way that the director is not having to do everything. That there's a director, there is a teacher or teachers. There are those who are doing outreach. There are those who are doing member care and so on. Also, April 19th, which is the Sunday after Easter, we'll be beginning... A new members class that is an eight-week repeating class. And someone can join it any week and just stay in it eight weeks. It will begin with what we're doing now, Coffee with a Pastor, talking about the history of the church, the mission of the church, letting folks get to ask questions of one of the pastors. The next week will be about evangelism, making sure that those who are coming have come to know Christ and immediately equipping them with the tools they need to tell others about Christ. The next six weeks will be uh, an old uh, curriculum that's still a wonderful curriculum, the survival kit for new believers, tried and true text. There are many others, but it's one of the great ones. Actually, any connection class could do this one time if they wanted to, but all new folks, new believers, will be ushering them into that eight-week repeating new members class. But we want everyone to be a part of a connection group where you're fellowshipping, getting to know others, and interacting over God's Word. But then there's circle. We'll be emphasizing circle in May. It's part of this growing with Jesus. What is circle? Well, it's pretty easy. It's three to five people suggested that they be of the same gender. It doesn't have to be. You could do three to five couples. Don't want you to be stressed about it. Why the same gender? Because you can really get in each other's lives in a way that you wouldn't in a mixed setting. But either way, growth is good. It could be that you already have a circle group going. You just didn't know it. It could be that you're already meeting in a a sense like this and able to grow together. Six months, one hour a week. Could be two strong believers adding one or two others who might not have done this if someone hadn't asked them. And in that time, it may be breakfast, coffee, lunch. It can be here. It can be anywhere. Try to make it a part of something you're already doing. 
So you're not adding an hour to your week. You're praying together. You're reading the Bible together. We're going to give you tools. Some of you will say, I can't do it unless I have a curriculum. Fine, we'll give you some. Some of you say, just give me the Bible. And they say, great, go for it. But you're praying together. You're studying the Word together. And you're getting in each other's lives. You're asking each other questions. And you're giving each other permission to ask those questions. So that serious, deep growth can occur. After six months, you may decide to keep your same group. But you may decide to multiply. Say, so, you know what, let's, let's split our group up and let's get some other guys and gals involved in this. We'll be emphasizing this in May. May 3rd, we'll have a lunch where we'll kick this off. We'll give just a one-time training inspiration and then we'll let it go and we'll guide you through this process. So circle. And then couch. Now, by the way, I'm not usually an alliterator, but, but we just, we're alliterating this. So um, couch, what does couch look like? Well, couch is your personal devotion. Every believer needs to be in the Word, needs to be in prayer. If there are others in your home, then we want to encourage you to make it regular. Make it a normal routine in your life where most days you're in the Word together as a family or a couple and you're in prayer. We're going to give you resources. We're going to teach you. We're going to train you. It's, it's not scary, even though it seems that way on the front side, if you've never had family devotions. It's not complicated. And the Lord will bless it if you do. And then finally... Crew, an Albuquerque word for taking action, for getting involved. It involves evangelism. We want to continue to train you. I'm super excited about what's coming in this area. And we'll tell you more later. It's about missions. Being a part of our mission partnerships that we have currently in Cambodia and Japan. Lord willing, those will expand. But it's also certainly about praying for and giving to missions. And then finally, it's about serving in the church, that, that you have a place where you're able to use your gifts and skills. If you are here and you say, you know, I don't really have a place of service, then we're not emphasizing this in August, till August, but that's okay. We'll always take servants. So I don't have a place. I really don't know where to start. Contact the office or Mark Welch and sign up for our greeters team. It's a wonderful place to start. You don't have to know much about the church yet. You don't have to know a whole lot about anything yet. If you can just smile and say good morning, welcome to Sandia Baptist Church, you can do it. And there's more to it than that. But that's a wonderful, wonderful place to start. Now, Crippine, you can put the, the full slide back up there. A few closing thoughts here on this. What we want to do is we want to find the least number of ministries to accomplish this discipleship pathway. Why is that? So you have time. We're going to be asking you strongly to make sure that you're involved in these five areas over time. We're going to be emphasizing one a month. We'll have a resource center for you in the next few months, resources for each one of these steps. But to do so, we have to give you permission to not be involved in some things. You can be as busy as you want to. But we're trying to say to you, you don't have to go to seven Bible studies a week. And be involved in 16 ministries. You can. But we just want you to know the trade-off here. As we emphasize these, we're saying you don't have to do everything. Because we want you to have time to reach others for Christ and to be discipled. It means that it will become a filter for us. 
and a filter for us to say no to some good things. There's a, a, a lot of wonderful, wonderful ideas. But we'll be saying, God, what is it that will keep us on task and not so busy us that we're firemen who don't have time to fight fires because we're so consumed with the firehouse? I love seeing you. I'd love to see you seven days a week, but I know that's selfish. And you've got to have time to make disciples and to reach others and to do ministry for the Lord. Prayer will be the fuel. It really just comes down to those old things of prayer and evangelism and making disciples. But we're just trying to say, let's get on the same page together as we make it. You go from crowd to community to circle to couch to crew and not necessarily in that order. And then it just repeats itself as you bring new people into the kingdom of God. So I'm asking you today... Who will go with me? Who will say, Pastor, there may be other ways to do it, but that certainly gets me at making disciples biblically, and so I'm in. We're going to pray in a moment. We're going to stand and sing. I'm going to ask you to flood the altar and come in to pray and say, Lord, help our church to make disciples. Lord, help me to be in this pathway and help me to lead others into this pathway. Some of you today, you say, you know what, my, I, I don't know all about this, but I just need to know Jesus. And by the way, that's what this is all about. We want our church to be able to help you know Jesus. And today you might come and say, I want to know Christ as my Savior. I believe in God, but I'm not real clear about whether I know Christ for sure. And today we would help you gladly come to know Christ. Maybe you'd say, you know what? This is just God's using this to remind me I need to make it official that this is my church home for this time in my life. And you'd come and we'd be so thrilled as the Lord would lead you to us. Maybe you haven't followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Many ways that the Lord would speak to you. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. You come. Pastor Bob Butler will be over here. I'll be over here. And then I ask you to flood this altar. I ask you to flood the altar and back into the aisles. Praying, God, we don't want to just do church. We've traded, as one said, the map of disciple making. We've traded it in for menus. Lord, I want to get back to where my life is about making disciples and not just doing church. And you'd come and you'd pray.